Hello, everybody! Welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm one of your hosts, Betsy. With me is my co-host, Trent. I guess that's our tagline. We say that every single time. What's that? A podcast about movies we haven't seen yet. Yeah! I guess. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. Or not. We're, we're too cheap no, it's, it's to bad. make merch. Are you guys going to buy our merch if we make merch? Yeah, email us. Tell <laughs> us if you want merch. <laughs> this is the That's for the end of the episode. This is the beginning of the episode. This episode, we are watching a movie that I have seen that Trent has not. A classic. A classic celebrating 55 years as of this year. Yeah. We are watching The Graduate from 1967. So as I said, I have watched this movie. I've seen this many times. Trent, you have never seen The Graduate. I have not. Why in the world have we made it this long without (laughs) you seeing a modern, a modern quote unquote classic? (laughs) (laughs) Modern classic. I don't know about that. Um, We've covered this in the past when we've done movies from the 60s and 70s. This era of film, I've never really sought out. There's a ton of classics. We've covered some of them already in the show, but it's never been anything that I've sought out to educate myself. I I like movies. I like the history of movies, but you, however, are a student of such things. I, and, lo- uh, I, I hunger and thirst yes. for film. <laughs> yes. Uh, I am not that way. But again, this is why we're doing this podcast. This is one of these classic movies that I feel like everybody knows something about it. Well, I'm- I know a little bit more than most, but as far as like the beat to beat to beat plot of the movie, I don't really know much. So this is one of those movies that has permeated pop culture. So if you've never seen this movie, you have seen references to this movie. I guarantee somewhere in this conversation, you're going to mention The Simpsons because The Simpsons has referenced every movie known to man. All of the famous (laughs) scenes from this movie have been done in The Simpsons, yes. So that being said, what parts of this movie, what about this movie do you know? We got... Dustin Hoffman in, was it like, his, was it his first movie? I don't it's, know if it was his first, there. but it was like his first major he was, star. It was role. very early in his career. Uh, Anne Bancroft is the, uh, is Mrs. Robinson, let's say, <laughs> uh, is her character's name anyway. And she's the one that is trying to seduce the Dustin Hoffman character. What makes you say that, Trent? <laughs> Uh, because I've seen a little scene where there's a leg up and between the legs is Dustin Hoffman saying, Mrs. Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> uh, everybody has seen at least a reference to that quote. And for 1967, that's pretty damn titillating. This was the era of cinema starting to push the envelope a little more. Yeah, it's and also the late 60s. The late 60s. Feminism was very much on the rise. Sex comedies with actual sex. Yeah. What else have you heard about this movie? Uh, I know the soundtrack was done by Simon and Garfunkel. Yes, And indeed. this is one of the f- more famous things to come out of this movie is the entire soundtrack. Yes, the soundtrack you will absolutely know. Yeah. Probably every song in this movie. I know you Without don't listen to a lot of classic music yeah. from this era, but it's it's been around long enough that you're going to sure. recognize it. 
and and we'll point those out as we get through the movie here. Um, the only other thing that I that I know I've pulled away from this this movie is one word, Betsy. Plastics. <laughs> so you know plastics, but you don't know what it means. Uh, I, I mean, I think I know that Dustin Hoffman is a is a kid that just graduated from college. I think. What would make you say that in a movie called The Graduate? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I know there's this party. I maybe started to watch this movie at one point. Maybe it was on TV and I started to watch it, but never followed through. Um, so I think there's a lot of people like asking him, what are you doing with your next step in your life or whatever it is? And there's a bunch of people coming up and asking him. And one of the guys takes him aside and says, I got one word for you, kid. Plastics. <laughs> and, and it's all these like business people, uh, rich guys coming up to him say, and saying, hey, I know you're a star. I know you're really smart. Come and work for me, kid. I'll make your day or whatever. <laughs> all right. Um, I know there's one last, I think. I know the end of the movie, like the very, very end, there's the famous scene, and I won't spoil things, is the famous scene in the bus, uh, and right before that, it's a scene It's a scene at a wedding. Okay, so uh, you... So I know you the know ending... How the, and again, that's another one that has been recreated oh, sure. many times. Oh, sure. Uh, again, mainly by The Simpsons, and, and a few other things, I'm sure. Uh... But that's what I know about the movie. From end to end, I know the beginning and I know the end. But, like, what else is in there, I don't really know. I know there are two other actors you will absolutely recognize. Okay. But have no idea are in this movie. I'm sure. The, the, the two people that I, that I mentioned, Anne Bancroft and Dustin Hoffman, are the only two people that I know for sure. And I'm sure that, like you said, there's a couple more that uh, I maybe don't recognize right away oh, no, because no. there's going to be a lot younger. That's that's the thing. You will definitely recognize them, but you have to remember this is 1967. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I expected that those were the things you probably had cursory knowledge of. Yeah. So let's go dive into it. We are going to go watch The Graduate, and we will be right back. Trent, I would like to congratulate you as the most recent graduate of the class of 2022 people who finally watched The Graduate. Uh-huh. <laughs> would you like to say any words on this auspicious occasion? Well, I don't think I'm grading too much on a curve here, but that might be one of my favorite movies. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's a strong reaction that I was not expecting. I have seen a lot of movies, not nearly as many as Betsy, but I'm coming away from it. Again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to sit with this for a while, but my initial reaction is that was fantastic. <laughs> I, I, it was hilarious. It was heartfelt. I teared up on a couple of occasions. I, yeah, I, 
that's my initial reaction here. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could be here for this. I'm I figured you'd probably like it. That you like it that much. Yeah. I'm I'm very glad because <laughs> when they say this is a classic, they're not kidding. Like oh, I think yeah. I think the first time I saw this, I was maybe in high school and I didn't get it because I hadn't lived a life. I yeah. had never dated anybody. I didn't mm-hmm. know like the jokes, there's so many jokes <laughs> that are really subtle in this movie. Uh-huh. And when I watched it as I got older, it just gets funnier and funnier. It's Be- so funny. Because he is impossibly neurotic and awkward. Yep. And then you've just got all these other characters that are almost, I don't know, they're almost like satirical versions of human they're beings. They're caricatures. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody's very real in this movie, which just amps up the comedy, but it's played so straight most of the time. That's the thing. It is complete. Nothing is played for laughs. No, there's no like slapstick. None of that. No. It's just him being an awkward human (laughs) who doesn't know what to do with himself and is troubled by his own existence. Well, he's troubled by, you know, he's a smart kid. He comes from... A clearly rich family. Oh, yeah. Who knows other clearly rich families in the neighborhood of L.A., wherever this happens to be. And I understand the pressure of being a semi-intelligent person not knowing what the hell to do with your life. Or just a kid who's now gone to the next step. Or just an awkward guy with people. Not just ladies, but with people in general. Oh, yeah. Like, people, uh, uh, like, approach you and ask you what you want to do with your life. You're supposed to know that when you're 20? That's a terrible, terrible idea, guys. There's a quote in this movie about, you know, you went to to school for all these four years, and what was it all for? You got me. Yeah. He genuinely doesn't know why he went to school for four years. Hardly anybody does. No. Listeners, if you're if you're out there and you are concerned that at the age of 20 or 21, you didn't know what to do or with 18, your life. Or 18. Or 18. Like or coming, 25. Coming out of high school, you are presented with this option of going to college. Not, not even an option anymore. You're presented with this thing that is college. And you are expected to make a ginormous, I know that's not a word, decision about the rest of your life. And that's not fair. No, and this, of course, is the late 60s where if you College were... College is like were, something of for the elite Right, if the you 60s. were brought up a certain way, yeah. your life was planned for you. Yeah. And this is clearly that situation where it's like, okay, you're going to go to school, you're going to go to grad school, and you're going to get married, and you're going to have kids, and you're going to have the little house, and the wife, and the kids, and that's what's going to happen, because that's rinse, what we had. Rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. You're just going to do that with your children too and you're going to set them up with other rich with another rich family and that's just what you do. And I don't know of that life. You don't know of that life, but these caricatures are people that you think that you know. And I don't know people like this. I mean, I don't think so anyway. <laughs> well, and it's pretty timeless for most of the movie. Like, this yeah. is clearly a movie made in the 1960s, sure. but the concept is very timeless. Like, yeah. bored Californian kid doesn't know what to do with his life after college. That is a copy-paste from <laughs> any era you could apply that. 
Yeah. And to think about it contextually in the 60s is actually really interesting because what the fuck was going on at the end of the 60s? A lot. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. A lot was going on. Like they make some comments about Especially here. with young people. They make some comments about the school that Elaine goes to. She goes to Berkeley in 1967. He's like, you're not one of those agitators, are you? Trust me, there were a few agitators in Berkeley. There were some Berkeley. agitations <laughs> happening at Berkeley in the 60s. And you don't get much of that. We really don't get any of that. No, none. But that's because you're so focused on his little tiny world where he doesn't even know what the outside world is. That's the thing. These people who are in their little bubble aren't concerned about the concerns of, you know, people who are getting drafted. Benjamin is never going to be drafted. No. If he is, his dad is going to have something to say about that. Well, they don't really go into a whole lot of detail, but they're clearly lawyers because they say yes. something about the Robinsons met at law yeah, school. He, uh, his dad and Mr. Robinson are lawyers. They're partners. They're law business partners. partners. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's how, that's how the, those families know each other anyway. And that's how they made their money. But you talked about how he doesn't know what to do with himself, how he's in this weird situation. Like, they demonstrate that right away where he gets home and they're having a graduation party and he is trying desperately to escape Get this party. Away. Like, I just want to be left alone. I need to be with my thoughts for a while. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm just going to go to the car. And somebody stops him in the doorway. Oh, I was just going upstairs. And somebody stops him on the staircase. And he just keeps like... Please let me out of this house. <laughs> literally running into people who want to talk to him and ask him questions, of which he has no answers. And there are no young people in this movie except Elaine. Yeah. She is literally the only other person. Everyone else is a friend of and his parents. all of the, the other adults who know of Elaine want to try to set them up. Yep. Because you are literally the only single young people we know, and we yeah. have nothing better to do with our time. Exactly. Shit. <laughs> Uh, so I told you there were a couple of people you would recognize in this movie. Yes. Uh, so one of them is William Daniels, who plays his father, who you know very well from one specific thing. Feeney! <laughs> yes, a very, very young Mr. Feeney is his dad. And there's a blink and you'll miss it moment. Literally. Where I had to ask you, like, go backwards and look. Yeah. In an uncredited role is Richard Dreyfus. He has, like, two lines. He has two lines, and he is baby-faced and has tons of hair. <laughs> right. For those who do not know this scene, it's the scene near the end of the movie where Elaine is in his bedroom at Berkeley, and she is just after she screams... You know the scream because good God. <laughs> <laughs> it's an ear piercing scream. <laughs> it, it really is. And there's all these heads that the, he's looking, the camera's looking out the doorway and all these heads keep uh, popping up. And he's the final one asking, should I call the cops? I'll get the cops. I'll just get the cops. Sure. Yeah. I had to look at that like four times before I was like, isn't that Richard Dreyfus? Because <laughs> there's so many of these guys that were just getting their start at this time yes. that they were just in these tiny little roles that you would never even know they were there. But I just find that interesting. Yep. Um, Buck Henry is in this movie. One now, of you, the writers. He, you, you said you recognized the name, but weren't yeah. quite sure why. So he wrote this movie. Yeah. He's also just kind of one of those legendary comedic writers. Mm -hmm. He co-created Get Smart. Yeah, I yeah that that makes sense. With Mel Brooks. Uh-huh. Who's married 
to Anne Bancroft. Yes. <laughs> and I, I kind of stopped myself in the intro because I wanted to talk about that. And just uh, just a, a short aside here. Yes, the Mel Brooks, who is currently 96 years old as we record this and still kicking and still working. Hell yeah. Still hilarious. Yeah, he and her met in the 60s and fell just head over heels in love. Disgusting in Disgu- love. <laughs> People tell us that we're disgusting, disgusting in public. No, these two just inseparable. Yeah. Until her death in like 2005. And he's never remarried. Of course not. It's not going to happen. Of course not. No. Yeah. Those two, I, that's hashtag couple goals. Yes. Of those two, (laughs) 100%. And and I mean, I really don't have much else to say about Anne Bancroft because I haven't really seen too much of her work. But in the 60s, she was a, an in-demand star. She started the 60s. Winning an Oscar. So in 1963, she won Best Actress for The Miracle Worker. And then she got nominated like four times through that decade. Yeah. So she was an in-demand actress at this time. Yeah. And this is just an iconic, iconic. When when people say Anne Bancroft, this is almost always the first thing they mention. Uh Uh-huh. And she got nominated for this. She didn't win for this one, but she's so great in it. And again, just totally deadpan, totally just Mm -hmm. milking these scenes where he says, you're trying to seduce me. And she's like, oh, the thought hadn't occurred to me. And then she just keeps saying, I'm not trying to seduce you while she's seducing him. (laughs) She's like taking one step backwards and three steps forwards towards exactly what he says that she's doing. Yep. I'll be good. Can you just come with me? And keeps like luring him in like a little predator and her prey. Just, and he's so stupid. Stupid and naive. I love it. And she's just it. like, come on, come a little closer. Come on. I'm I'm tired of repeating myself. I have known you your whole life. I am not trying to seduce you. And then her tits are out. <laughs> yep. Literally. Like, think about this. There is a moment where she is fully naked. Yep. Shuts the door and tells Locks him. the door. Tells him what's up. And they actually show a nipple. Yes. For like just a second. It's like two frames. In two 19, frames. In 1967, again, this is where we're pushing that envelope uh-huh. of we're getting away from the old way of doing things. Right. But it's almost blink and you'll miss it. Like the editing mm-hmm. here is so fast that it's like, and wait, it's, did I just see what I think I saw? And the camera is on Dustin Hoffman and you can see his eyes darting downwards because he knows he wants to look. <laughs> <laughs> he can't help himself. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes. The way this movie is shot is outstanding. I wrote down probably three different moments here where I I said wow to Betsy like them in the hallway after he admits to Elaine what happened it's Mrs. Robinson out in the hallway and the camera is pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and pulling back and then it the camera is actually over the shoulder of Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff with like being really zoomed in and yeah. zooming out, or there's being a lot really of zoomed zoom. out and zooming in. Yeah, there's a lot of zoom shots in this. The shot, uh, the first time that they go to the hotel room, the camera is pointed down at this like mirrored table, and it's you can see Dustin Hoffman on one side, and then Mrs. Robinson just comes in right uh, uh, from the side. And it's them just sitting at the table talking to each other. And then the camera pans up and there they are. 
Yeah, she of the no first name, Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, they never say her actual name. It's just Mrs. Robinson. I love it. There's just a lot of really cool edits in this movie where they have this sequence where it's the passing of time while these two yeah. are having this affair. Yeah. And it keeps cutting back and forth between he's in the pool, he puts on his shirt. When he, he walks through the door, he emerges in the hotel. Yeah, he puts on his white shirt and it gets all wet as he's walking into the door of the of his house. Then he is shown walking through supposedly the same door, but his shirt is dry and he's walking into the hotel room. Yep. And then they're on the bed and they zoom in on his face. And when yep. he gets up, he's back home yeah. and they just keep going back and forth. It's so well done. <laughs> yeah. And it's not camera tricks. It's no. just good editing. It's just freeze frame right here. And we're going to create the same shot just somewhere else. Perfect. Like he's laying in the pool. He jumps on his little floaty. Yeah. And then the next shot, he's on top of her having just finished yeah and when his dad's like what are you doing he looks up from her right. and it's so great it's cheeky as shit too uh -huh. like the editing the way it is filmed Th this is directed by mike nichols now i know you have seen at least two of his movies all right he directed the birdcage all right and closer no shit so this is a movie we've, I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast, I don't but think we've so. talked about it together. This is something we've watched many, many times. times. I think Closer came out in 05. 2004 or 05, somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Mid 2000s for sure. And it took both of us a while. We Obviously we didn't see it at the time. We weren't together yet. But it took me a couple of viewings to really appreciate the movie Closer because it's literally four actors. It's a play. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, so it's an adaptation of a play. Fine. But yeah, it's four actors. It's like a, it's a love square, <laughs> not a if triangle. <laughs> yeah, it's a love square between four different people. And they just keep on swapping and swapping and swapping until the very end. They're all really fucked up people. <laughs> yeah, they're all terrible people. Uh, yeah, go look up closer. It's fantastic. Anyway, but, continue. But yes, Mike Nichols directed that movie, which is more drama. He directed The Birdcage, which is very a, comedy. A very much, very much a comedy. <laughs> and this is that kind of blending of the two. So he can do a lot of this kind of work. But Betsy, this movie is like the driest comedy I've ever seen. <laughs> it is extremely my shit. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we we touched on it at the beginning. Simon and Garfunkel. Yes. In my brain, I haven't watched this movie in a while, and in my brain, this movie is packed full of, like, all the hits. Like, there's, like, 25 no, songs. No. no. there's four. Yeah. There are four. And they repeat and repeat and repeat. Yes, there are four Simon and Garfunkel songs. It's Sound of Silence. Yes. April Come Though She Will, I think is something like that. Uh, something like that. April Come She Will. It's kind of a weird title. Scarborough Fair. And of course, Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> yes. And the interesting thing about this, the version they're playing is sort of a preliminary version because these lyrics are not what they put out in the actual release later. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. <laughs> so they're scattered throughout the movie and that's kind of the only music. There's a couple of songs, like somebody turns on a radio or somebody's sure. blasting it in the car. Sure. There's no score though. No. The Simon and Garfunkel is the only score, and yeah. they're only played in between sets. Yeah, it's the transition in time. It is him just being introspective. It's the mood music. Yeah. 
especially at the very end because you get the sound of silence again at the very end in the bus which of course I did know about the bus scene and him banging on the the window in the church I yep. knew about all that stuff and I knew how it, how it was going to end they were going to end up together but yeah it, it plays again at the very end on the bus because this is a massive decision that they have both made and the, you know they're they're laughing and smiling and it's a it's a it's a fun thing that they just did but then by the end, they're just kind of staring forward, thinking to themselves, what did you just do? Yeah, because she's very married. Like, if you didn't catch that, they said, I do. They were kissing. Yeah, and the, Mrs. Robinson said, you're too late. <laughs> swell was happening. Yeah. But no, doesn't matter. He bangs on the glass. Yeah. She's looking around and there's just, you know, slow motion chaos and screaming. Mrs. Robinson mouthing, you son of a bitch. Yep, yep. <laughs> and this Jagoff who she's now married to because he went to his frat house and those dudes are all like typical <laughs> frat boys. I, I leaned over to Betsy and I said, boy, it's nice to know that frat boys haven't changed in no. 55 years. No, they haven't. <laughs> so she's just looking at them and she's thrust into the chaos that is his existence just as well as he is. And yeah. so she goes with him yeah. and you know, they're like waving a cross and locking people in the church. <laughs> Brandishing a cross. <laughs> but yeah, it's a very interesting sort of ending where you're just sort of left to wonder what they're thinking because they, yeah. they made kind of a quick decision. They don't yeah. know each other that well. They both seem to like each other, but in this rush job to get her married off, it's also a rush job for them to get together. And she's just like, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. And then it's silence and they drive off into the distance. Yeah. After they leave the church, there is no more dialogue. Nope. It's just laughing. And then, ha, huh, huh, huh. Yeah. Because mm. <laughs> you can infer a whole lot of stuff that is the, going to be the result of this decision. So they both come from rich families. Her husband... I guess you could call him at that point, is also going to be very rich and successful. He's going to be a doctor, I guess. His his father is a doctor. He's, he's a going to student. Berkeley. Yeah, exactly. He, uh, she said that he's a med student at Berkeley, so he's going to be a doctor. So she's turning away from whatever life that she was going to have with this guy. And by alienating their respective parents, you know, they're turning their back on a whole lot of support, let's say. And... It's very possible that they're going to be completely cut off. Well, and even if this somehow works out, you've got Mrs. Robinson, who is now a vindictive psycho as, as it concerns Ben. She is lying to everybody to save her own ass. And Mr. Robinson has a whole bunch of ideas that, are, that have been stuck into his head, presumably by Mrs. Robinson. And is probably going to be on the warpath for stealing his daughter. Right. He says, I'm not sure, but I'm fairly confident I can get you behind bars. Yeah. <laughs> so even if they somehow stay together, that's what he's entering into. That is what is waiting for them when they get off the bus. So that's, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. He has that to look forward to. <laughs> 
All right, we're just sort of hopping all over because there's just so much to talk about in this movie and so many moments that are really funny. And I amazing. made so many notes. So while we were watching the movie, you asked me a specific question. And it was, how old was Dustin Hoffman when he made this movie? Yes, because I was kind of remarking on mainly when he's checking into the hotel and talking with the attendant, who is Buck Henry, by the way. And like him, and this is the entire movie, not just that scene, him being just flummoxed. And it was very believable because that's how I was when I was just a little teenager and just a little shit who didn't know anything, how to talk to, how to talk to adults. How to check into a hotel. Right. How to go to the bar. They don't teach you that shit. No, you just have to figure it out. And he's so fucking nervous and neurotic that yeah. he's just... Flummoxed is he's, the word yes. I use. <laughs> he's making the hotel staff that first day very suspicious. Yeah. Or if even if they're not, he is paranoid because he's like, well, I think I made him suspicious. Who the fuck cares? No one cares. But the point is, yes. he is supposed to be 21 years old. They have his 21st birthday. He was 30 when he made this movie. You're fucking shitting me. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, but it gets better. Because Anne Bancroft was 36. Wow. <laughs> they were only six years apart in age when they made this movie. The woman who plays Elaine was only like 28 or something. She's only the tiniest bit younger than <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. I mean, I, it should make sense to me because nobody got cast at their proper ages back then. Oh, It still, took a long time. It still doesn't happen still, all the time. No, it doesn't. Ha it happens much more often these days. We always bring up the idea of the new Spider-Man, the Tom Holland ones, where most of those actors are about the right age. But yeah, back then... Forget about it. <laughs> it's it's if you can be dressed and if you can act, and he can clearly. Right. So yes, he was thirty years old playing twenty one, but he's so good you don't even know. And he looks like a little baby. He is a small well, guy. He's right. very tan. Right. He's just got a lot of that youthful presence, but he's also kind of one of those guys. He is playing really old while he's playing really young because for such a young person he has very old problems <laughs> if that makes sense what I'm trying to say well yes yeah he's got the attitude like I need to have my entire life figured out I'm only 21 years old but I have the world on my shoulders right now because everybody else seems to have all these expectations from me yeah and then you've got Anne Bancroft who is just dressed to the nines, very 1960s mod, like the big hair, the blonde streak. Oh, yeah. Betsy. She <laughs> and she's got that voice that I love. The raspy, I've oh. been smoking cigarettes. <laughs> oh. And I'm a cougar here to seduce you. She is the original cougar as far as I'm concerned. Oh, well, yeah, the joke for decades has been yeah. mrs robinson uh-huh anytime it's an older woman it wasn't until more recently that people just started using the more abstract cougar or in in our generation's version of this was stacy's mom stacy's mom or stifler's mom yeah stifler's mom yeah <laughs> yeah if you want another movie reference yeah. <laughs> but uh. yeah the way they just 
physically are presented, the way they are acting, they pull it off that you would not have any clue. I was today years old when I found out he was 30 in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact that she was so young, relatively speaking. Yeah. But she was like 36. Yes. I guess I a little makeup and a good, you know, she's tan. Like, I love how everyone has yeah. tan lines in this movie. Like, they're yeah. very much like, we live in California. Very much California. Have nothing better to do than lay in the sunshine. Everybody has a pool in California. So, yeah, I think I got most of the major points I wanted to make about this movie. What are some of the little moments that had you just like, yes, this is amazing. So I want to kind of go through my notes here. I never do this on the show, but I want to kind of do my stream of consciousness as I'm writing these notes because I wrote a lot. Uh, First off, right away, we got him landing at LAX. I love, love to see depictions of old uh, like airplanes and airports of the time, what it was like to be in an airport and be on an airplane. I just, yeah. Of like him in the airplane. Obviously there's no screens anywhere, but behind his head built into his headrest is like the announcement radio thing or like the call button. Is that what that is? I didn't see it, so I'm not sure what you're referencing. Yeah, there's a little control box up by his shoulder. A little speaker or something? Yeah, something like that. It's like a call button, or it's where the announcements come out. Maybe. I don't know why they need it on every single seat, but it's there. Maybe the listeners, if you know what that is, let us know. (laughs) Go watch The Graduate and tell us what it is. Go watch the first two minutes of The Graduate, you'll see it. And especially, of course, you get into the, the airport, and it's this... Long, again, introspective scene where the, the song is playing. He's on this extremely long walking sidewalk in the airport. And just, there's no dialogue. It's just the song playing. He's staring ahead, just kind of staring into the to the middle distance. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just love how that was shot. Well, and there was an interesting correlation. So he's moving along the conveyor and then it transitions to his suitcase. Yes. So it's... A metaphor, I guess, about how he's uh, he feels like a piece of luggage. I'm not sure. <laughs> he's arrived. Here he is. This is the, his but next yeah, it's, step. It's an identical shot of a black suitcase against a white wall moving on a conveyor belt. Uh-huh. Uh, the next thing is at the party. Uh, his dad is there. And, like, other people were asking about the car that he got, apparently as a graduation gift. They gave him an Alfa Romeo. Yeah. And, guys... If you don't know what that is, it's a very, very expensive European sports car. For the 60s, it would have been very expensive. Oh, yeah. And, of course, that car is very prominent in this entire movie. Yeah, he drives it very recklessly because uh-huh. that is he is full of careless abandon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and then, like, a minute later, the dude walks him out to the pool and tells him the one word he has to tell him, plastics. <laughs> Is there's a great future in plastics. That's it. That's all he says. That's all he has to say. And he's like, good talk. We'll just bye now. I'll talk to you later about, you know, you're, you're going to want to talk to me later. Like he about gives this. him like the hush, hush, like sh- right. sh- wink, wink. Like he's giving him a, like a fucking stock tip. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, they also mention like his mom is going to make a big announcement about, he's trying to get everybody's attention and, saying, like, all of the different things that he was involved in in college. She said, 
He was like captain of the cross country team. He was on the debate team and like editor of the college newspaper. Yep. He was on the staff and then he became the editor. Yeah. And that's a lot. And like, he seems to be like this big overachiever or he's like trying to impress people or like do what his parents want him to do. Or maybe that's what they did when they went to, they don't even say what college he went to. Right. All they said he was out East, out East. One of the, one of the Ivy leagues, I'm sure. Probably. But he had a lot of extracurriculars and was very involved, very involved. And yet with all of that schooling and extra activity, he's just kind of a vessel uh, for everybody else to put on him. Oh, you mean he's a suitcase? Yeah. Ah, metaphor complete. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. My next thing I'm going to read verbatim because it is the scene that is that everybody takes from this movie. Uh, this is after he goes up to his room. He finally escapes from everybody. He goes up to his room, checks out his his fish tank, which is which is very prominent in the movie, by the way. I say. Mrs. Robinson barges in room, smokes and ashes on his bed, asks him to drive her home, offers a drink. Being a whiny shit. (laughs) What do you think of me? Alcoholic? (laughs) Uh, Says the line to open legs, goes to daughter Elaine's room, unzip my dress, Ever the Boy Scout does everything she asks. That's the the line that I wanted to get across here. He is a fucking Boy Scout. He does exactly what people tell him to do. He does it with a smile on his face. Even if he doesn't want to. He doesn't question it. He doesn't, whether he wants to do it or not, he doesn't. Because he respects his elders. (laughs) Uh, And the last thing here is corners him naked, locks the door, offers an arrangement. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the graduate in 90 seconds, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. <laughs> yeah, at least that scene anyway. <laughs> Fuck, man. That I can see why that scene just had everybody talking, especially back then, I'm sure. I read that this was, at, for the time that the movie was in theaters, it became the third highest grossing film of all time. And there had been a lot of movies already. Yeah. They didn't crank them out as fast as they do now, but sure. there were a lot of movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People really liked this movie when it's when it came out. Yeah. And I, I honestly did not really know like how big of a phenomenon it was. I just thought it was like for these couple of scenes that people took away from it, and then it was a good movie otherwise. I didn't know it was a smash hit. Apparently, yeah. I wasn't there for it. I don't know. <laughs> no, of course not. But like what the, the things that I have uh, just absorbed over time and like learning about movies, I had no idea. Well, and what we watched was the Criterion Collection. So yeah. we haven't touched on any yeah. of the extras, but I suspect there we're going to be spending some time on that in the near there future. There are so many extras in here, just interviews of all of the, 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 the actors that they have been able to interview over the years. Interview, uh, interviews with the uh, like the writers and the director and everybody involved. It's it's incredible how much they were able to get out of this movie. But anyway, I'll I'll move on in my notes here. Uh, of course, we got the the scene of him getting his birthday present, which apparently is the following week. He turns twenty one, and he gets this fucking scuba suit, which is such which, a stupid gift. <laughs> It's a really stupid gift. Why Why would you give your son this thing? 
I mean, yeah, he swims, I guess. Because it but... was expensive and he could. Yeah. It's like a status thing. I love when he's in the water and his dad keeps trying to shove him back in the water. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. tries to come up because he doesn't want to do this. And his dad is literally putting his hand on his mask and shoving him into the water. Well, you need to use it as intended, kid. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I would love to know how they did this because... 1967 cameras were pretty big Mm -hmm. so they would have had to rig up a huge mechanism in order to get this thing underwater they weren't very mobile in those days and there's a lot of clearly handheld work throughout this movie in different scenes definitely and then this first person shot where you have the goggles yeah. over the lens, yep. and when it, the camera pans down, you're seeing his little feet. The flippers, You're seeing yeah. Dad, like, reaching out and touching his mask. Yeah. And then when he's in the water, it's all from the camera's perspective. So you're right. That would have been very tricky to do, whether it's a box or yeah. I don't know what. I'm sure by 1967, there had been underwater shots. Oh, sure. But... In what capacity, I don't really know. But usually more through a, like, you're on the outside looking in. Yeah, but like, like it, from the outside of a pool, not like, looking in. Not in the pool. <laughs> not actually in the pool, exactly. But, like, there is a shot there of them not with the lens over the, not the, the, the goggles over the lens. There's a shot of him in the suit on the bottom of the, just the pool. Just sitting there. Just sitting there, <laughs> holding on to something probably to prevent him from floating up. Yes, he has to be weighted down because he's going to otherwise float back to the top. Uh, But yeah, I really like that scene. Uh, But of course, the next scene that I I wrote about was the scene at the first scene, the first scene at the hotel, of course, where he shows up. He talks to we already talked about him going to the to the hotel desk. (laughs) She comes in. He doesn't have the hotel room yet. Like she just has to do everything. Yeah, he does not know what to do in this situation. (laughs) Right. And of course, like you said, when you saw this when you were in high school, would you have known the steps in order to fulfill this affair? No. 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 So just him being awkward and they, they finally get up to the hotel room. He finally gets up to the hotel room because they have to go separately, of course. And he he calls her. From the payphone in the hotel room, has the phone delivered from to the her. Lobby. From the lobby. In the lobby. He can see her from where he is standing. <laughs> he can't just go over and talk to her and just say, hey, meet me in room whatever in five minutes. He has to be very clandestine about the whole thing. <laughs> this is how you have to be a, have it be a secret. And she has to keep feeding him the lines like, yeah. do you want me to come up in a little while? Do you want right. to go up first? Don't is you there... have anything else to tell me while you're on the phone I wanna, with me? I want to thank you for this opportunity (laughs) benjamin the hotel room number (laughs) oh yeah oh and he finally gets up to the hotel room he's like turning down all the blinds turn on the light turn off the light yeah i don't know exactly what mood that you want to set if there's a mood at all and like a split second before she knocks on the door there's an audible whimper yeah he just goes That was the maybe the biggest laugh I had. It's such a moment because it's so dark in there. Like yeah. he doesn't really have the lights on. Then you almost are like, wait, what just happened? Right. 
Oh, shit. And then it's just the most awkward thing. Like, she is smoking a cigarette and he kisses her before she's able to exhale. Right. He, she's undressing and he just puts a hand on her boob and Which, leaves it there. <laughs> okay. Appar- I read this uh, uh, also. That little moment was not in the script. Dustin Hoffman decided it would be a good character move for her for him to do this to her. He put it there and didn't move it. There are apparently laps off screen because everybody else was surprised by it. Dustin Hoffman has to turn away and bang his head on the far wall <laughs> as Anne Bancroft does not react. And yeah, Dustin Hoffman was banging his head on the on the wall because he was trying to stop himself from laughing. <laughs> and they kept it in the movie. Yeah. And then the scene just keeps rolling. It doesn't yeah, stop It doesn't there. stop. He clearly pulled himself together if yeah. this was the take that they used it. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> I love it. And then, of course, what, like, what, it, remind me, what does she say to get him insulted? Or, like... She calls him a virgin. She's like, That's are right. you, she says, is this let me your, ask you a personal question. Yeah. Is this your first time? It's fine if you're inadequate. Like she calls him yeah, inadequate. inadequate. And then he finally nuts up, yeah. goes over, shuts the, the door where all the lights coming through. And then it happens. Fade to black. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She yeah. basically insults him and he has to prove his manhood. Yep. <laughs> and thus begins a months long affair. Yeah, literally months long because we get this another transition song of time passing. And by the time we get to the end of it, they're in bed again. And he's kind of getting fed up with them only just getting together to fuck. Yeah, he's getting it's not that he's getting bored. He even says to her, this is the only thing I have to look forward to. Right. But he and feels, he's being honest. He feels obligated to get to know her. <laughs> right. Because he's a gentleman, I and, guess. And he has, and, and, and sorry, she has no interest in having anything more to do with him other than this arrangement. Yeah, and this scene is interesting because, of course, he says, I want to have a conversation with you. And all it ultimately achieves is the two of them getting pissed off at each other. Yeah. And then he says, maybe we just shouldn't talk at all. And then they go back to bed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he wants to have a conversation. So he says, pick a topic. Because, you know, that's how all good conversations happen. Pick a topic and then we'll talk about it. So she says, art. And she says, I don't actually like art. I just said something. I don't know so anything would, about so art. You would, so you'd shut up. <laughs> and then later in the conversation, she went to school for art. She was it, an art major. Yeah. And she reveals that the only reason that she got married is because she got knocked up. Yep. And I mean, I, honestly, what I thought was she was going to say is she married for money. Because I don't know. I, I guess this is, of course, before I realize how old she actually is here. And who the hell knows how old any of these people, these, these parents are? Because they never reveal it, obviously. But No, but you can assume for the time these people are fairly young, even yeah. with college kids, probably in their 40s. Yeah, probably 40s. Everybody got married and had babies very young in those days. It's true. Um, but yeah, by the end of it, like they're like basically breaking up because somehow they got into the topic of Elaine, her daughter. Because everyone's pushing to ha- have him ask her out. Yeah. Except for her, except for Mrs. Robinson. And for some reason, she's got this bug up her butt about you under no circumstances will ever ask out my daughter. 
even though the three other parents want it to happen. They never address that. I think it just kind of boils down to it's a selfish thing. She just wants him to herself, even if what they have ends. Yeah. If this is at this moment while they're having the conversation, it's still going on. Yeah. And think about that. If you are currently fucking this guy right. and he starts dating your daughter, right. how you awkward wouldn't be would, happy with that. Yeah, how awkward would that be later in case it does happen and work out? Or it's genuinely she is a rich white bitch and you are a Fuck toy. Jobless. Fuck toy. <laughs> jobless, aimless loser. Yeah. Fresh out of college. Yes. It might be as simple as that. She just, as a person, doesn't really like him. <laughs> Seems that way. Like, she has because a certain she, degree of self-loathing. At some point, she is going out of her way to try to ruin his life. Right. She has a certain degree of self-loathing that she's yeah. willing to just deal with her being with him, but she doesn't want that for her daughter. Right. But you're right. Later, when she gets vindictive, she goes out of her way to ruin his life. She lies to Elaine and she, I don't know what she says to her husband, but she tells him enough that they're getting she a divorce. inserts some thoughts into his head. I think they both got different versions of the, definitely the events though. Yeah. Because what, what's the most horrible thing that you could say to your daughter to have uh, an explanation as to why they were together. Yeah, your mom being raped by your boyfriend is a pretty terrible thing. And it would get you to stay away from him. Right. But at the same time, she still goes back to him. Elaine? Yeah. yeah. Elaine still goes back to him. So that says to me, Elaine knows that her mother is fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. She's She is at least aware that... Maybe she shouldn't believe everything she says. Yeah. Because even if like Mrs. Robinson is saying, yeah, I bet you didn't know I was an alcoholic. If she's telling herself that, that she knows that she's an alcoholic, how bad is it when Ben isn't around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Elaine is interesting in that she kind of turns on a dime where. Oh yeah. Multiple she sort times. Of, she sort of gets over very quickly when she talks to him. Yeah. Oh, well maybe my mom didn't tell me the whole truth mm -hmm. and now I like him again. Yeah. And now maybe I'm, I might marry you like in, right. in the same day. Yeah. This was like the same day. It was the same like eight hour period. Also, he's very cavalier about not locking his doors. It's true. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> locks their fucking doors in this movie. <laughs> it was the sixties. It's okay. Uh, but speaking of Elaine, we haven't really talked much about her. Uh, so she doesn't show up until like halfway through the movie. Yeah, they talk about her, but she doesn't yeah. show up until she's home for summer break. Yeah, we've had the, the conversations about the two dads wanting Ben to ask her out whenever she gets back in town, or at least call her, just acknowledge their existence. And she finally does come back, and Ben is f essentially forced to ask her out. He doesn't want to because he promised Mrs. Robinson he yeah, wouldn't. right. And he's telling his parents he won't do it. We don't have anything in common. I don't like her. She doesn't like me. I'm not going to do it. And he's kind of given an ultimatum. His mom will invite the entire Robinson right. family into their home, which he will have a panic attack and die right. if Mrs. Robinson has to sit with him through a dinner. Well, and they're also, <laughs> his parents are questioning 
him and what he's been doing every night. Yeah, where do you go from yeah. midnight to noon the next day? Right. You're not telling me the truth. And his mom is saying, like, I would rather you l- not lie to me. Just don't tell me. Just don't tell me. If that if, if it's that bad, just don't tell me. Don't lie to me. Yeah. Which, hey, your parents know you better than what you think. <laughs> They're not stupid. They observe things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they finally have their date. He's driving his convertible crazy uh, down the highway. Acting like an asshole. Acting like an asshole. Intentionally. And like giving one word answers to all of the things that she's asking. Yep. Takes her her to a burlesque club. Uh Refuses to take off his sunglasses. A burlesque club is a really fancy strip club, guys. And yeah, he like tries to go in the front entrance Get I guess gets told no, but then they sneak in the back way. Or he just marches past the line and goes in. Seems that I way. Really I, I don't know how they actually get in there. But they sit at the front, and there are two stage shows going on. One in the way background, which you can absolutely see what's going on. And then they sit right next to the stage of the other, the other performer. And yeah, they sit down, and she asks, like, do you hate me like, or what, something? What's, why don't you? What's going on? What's going why, on here? Why, why are we I here? here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what he says. He like, just kind of keeps saying like, oh, you're missing a hell of a show behind you. Why don't you turn around and watch which it? Which is true. <laughs> I mean, it is a hell of a show, but. Yeah, she had tassels. She was making them fly. <laughs> that's not where you take a date. Not a nice girl like Elaine. Not a nice girl. And then she starts crying. And yeah, that sucks. Yeah, he was. An asshole to the maximum limit. Oh, yeah. And he realizes the second she starts crying that that's not okay. And he he is very ashamed of himself. Absolutely. And again, he is not this guy. He is a good guy. But he has to, he feels the need to pretend about his entire existence. Right. And like he chases after her and asks her to stop crying. He starts to admit some things about him. And he finally convinces her to go to a drive-in or drive-through. What, what, what is that called? A drive-in, yeah. Where, where, there, where there's um, car hops and, you know, the things from the a 60s. A very antiquated thing that doesn't really exist anymore except for Sonic. Sonic. <laughs> yeah, Sonic is okay. But they don't give you a tray anymore. They no. have, like, the fancy, like, trays and the thing that clamps to your door. <laughs> and a mountain of French fries. So many Did you see fries. that? They have a lot of French fries. <laughs> yes. Um, and, yeah, he says, you know... I feel like after I got out of college, I just feel like I need to be an asshole essentially, and just to be just to be really mean to everybody. But then that's not me either. They have like an actual nice conversation. Yeah, he's a human being for ten minutes. And speaking of that, there's that scene of them in the car, and the the convertible th- uh, roof is down, and they're asking the people next to them to turn their music down because they can't hear each other. Well, then they put the roof up. They continue to have the conversation, but we as the audience only hear the music. Yeah, we so can't hear what they're saying. They're having a nice conversation. They're having a nice time. <laughs> and yeah, they go all the He brings her back to her place and she's into him. She asks him, hey, can I can I make you some coffee? Come in. Why don't you come in? Why don't you come in? He says, no, you know what? It's still early. Let's go somewhere. And she's game because she wants to keep on spending time with him. 
But of course, the only place that has an open bar is the Taft Hotel where he's been sleeping with her mother for months. And when she says the Taft Hotel, he drives his car onto the curb. Almost hits a tree. He almost hits a tree. And then when they get there, everybody knows him. Oh, hello, Mr. Gladstone. Miss, good evening. Good evening. Oh, must Welcome. Be, must be confusing me with another person. This I must Gladstone look like this guy. fellow. <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows him. It's not just a mistake, guys. Uh, but yes, the, the, as they're walking out, they get back into the car and he admits, or she, she asks him, are you having an affair? Yeah, she figures out yeah. there must be some reason all these people know you. Right. And he admits it. He says, yes, but yep. it's it's over now. I, yeah. think, I think it's over now. She's a married woman with a son. He doesn't tell the whole truth, but she's a married woman with a son, but it's over now. I want to be with you. And she accepts In effect, that. Yeah. yeah. And she accepts that. He takes her back because that's the end of the date. Takes her back. He says, I want to take you out again. Can I take you out tomorrow during the day? And the next day he shows up. It is pouring rain. And he stops at uh, her house. And it's Mrs. Robinson who gets in the car. Yep. Drive around the block. Uh huh. Drive. And she starts threatening him. And he wants nothing to do with this because she's going to tell. Uh, her daughter, what's been going on, and it's going to be the end of it. So instead of that happening, he wants to be the one to, to say it first. Yeah, he runs in the rain, gets out of the car, yeah, sprints to the house. He stops the car, sprints to the house in the middle of a rainstorm. Just so he can be the one to tell her and not Mrs. Yeah, Robinson. gets all the way up there. She's changing still, and yeah, he goes into her room, shuts the door, or tries to shut the door. He there. doesn't quite shut the door. Yeah. We need it slightly open to get the shot. <laughs> right. Uh, and yeah, he finally says, you know that older woman that I was with? It wasn't just some woman. It wasn't just some woman, and then she shows up all wet. And he looks at her, focus, and then she focuses. And then the, the slow focus back in on Elaine mm-hmm. was a great touch. Well, and it's metaphorical and literal uh-huh, as uh-huh. she realizes he is telling her an honest truth. Yeah. And of course, we have the big transition, like never talk to me again, blah, blah, blah. And we have more music and it gets into the fall and he starts to become obsessive. Yep. Ben does. She goes back to school. She goes back to school. He stays there and is writing her name on a, on on a pad. Like she's like he's gonna try to write her a letter, but he can't do it because he gets hung up on her name. Yep, just writes her name over and over again. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he decides. He tells his father, "I'm going to marry Elaine Robinson." <laughs> oh, you are! Congratulations! And then her, her his mother shows up, and she screams again. There's so much screaming in this movie. <laughs> this is joyous screaming, though. It is. It is. And he says, "Well, she doesn't know about it yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it by gum." You haven't talked to her yet. No. And as point in fact, she doesn't like me very much. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah. I've made up my mind. This doesn't sound like a very fully baked idea. No, no, it's fully baked. And then oh, he yeah. just leaves. <laughs> yeah, he gets in the car and drives to Berkeley and proceeds to stalk her he sure like does. a crazy person. He does for several days. And then when he finally meets up with her, he's chasing her bus and she definitely saw him. Uh-huh. Like, not maybe she didn't see it. Like, he was in a dead sprint. Yeah. And she looked out the window right at him. And he is following her around like a puppy dog for like hours and hours because she's on her way for a date. 
mm-hmm. with this doctor med school student. Dr. Medman. Dr. Blondie. <laughs> and they're going to have the date at the zoo. And he's like on, like attached to her hip until Dr. Blondie. Yeah. What are you doing? Comes... Where are you going? Who's that? What's happening? Right. So this looks like him. He's got a good walk. <laughs> he's a heck of a walker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, until he pulls her away, he is attached to her hip. And then yeah. later in the movie, when they kind of make up and she says, I might marry you. Right. He's like having a philosophical debate, literally waiting for her in class. Right. She's in class. Again. He's outside the door yeah. and he does not leave until she comes out and he picks up right That's where he left off. That's a great scene. I love that. The bell rings. He's standing there. The bell rings again. He's still standing there and he continues the conversation exactly where he left off. And follows her this way the entire day. And uh, she's I, just and I, okay with I, that. I, I like the scene in the in the in the library. It's kind of a cliche thing where people are telling him to shut up. <laughs> yeah. At first he's whispering, and then he starts getting loud. <laughs> where where did where did he ask you? How did he ask you? It wasn't in a car, was it? And <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't get that joke, Trent. Nope. She was conceived in a Ford, but she doesn't know that. Why did he care that it was a Ford? <laughs> It's just that weird, like, I want to know strange, specific details about your life. He's that kind of a person. There are people like that in the world. They ask kind of deeply personal questions to strangers. (laughs) I'm that kind of person, but I don't ask those questions. You're thinking it. I want to know so much about everyone, but I choose not to go there. You're too polite to be that guy. (laughs) Yep, that's me. That's me. Oh, well, Betsy, I, I, I don't really have anything else to talk about here. Again, I knew what the, what the, the big scenes were. I knew what the ending was, but I, I, again, I always have to ask the question here. Anytime there's an open-ended ending to a movie like this, what do you think actually happens? We, we brought up the ideas or like the, the options of what might happen. What do you think happened? I mean, as a pragmatist, I feel like their relationship is not well-founded. They've only been on one date, and then he kind of stalked her, which I have some issues with. (laughs) She's actually married. They're going to have to deal with that. Uh, Only in the eyes of God and all of the witnesses. (laughs) If she didn't sign the marriage certificate, she ain't married. Uh, okay, we'll agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's that that situation where if they manage to stay together, they are mm-hmm. going to constantly being pulled apart. And it's possible that they do love each other and that I should just be swept up in romance. But the older I get, the more I'm like, these young people <laughs> haven't thought this through. <laughs> and normally I would have the exact same attitude as you because I was that guy who I've told this story before. When the question was asked about Romeo and Juliet, I said, no, these teenagers don't know anything of love. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm the opposite. I fully believe that these two will have a life together in whatever capacity that is. These two crazy kids. <laughs> yeah. That's me. All right, then. I'm I'm glad that we don't always agree on everything when we watch these movies. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that you actually really liked this one. And it leaves really you with a, a positive outlook on the end because it's intentionally vague. Yeah. 
And if you are a romantic, it will be romantic. If you are a cynic, it will feel like uh, it's not going to end well. (laughs) (laughs) And... It's not that I'm, you know, a super romantic because there's plenty of these these types of movies where I am the cynic and I'm saying, no, what the fuck is wrong with you? This is a toxic relationship. Get the fuck away from each other. No, but, it is the children who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, this time I am completely uh, the opposite. And, and my basis for that is more to the effect of these seem like intelligent people. They're not going to make an irrational decision like this lightly. They've considered all the angles and the fact that she came to his room in the middle of the night and asked him to kiss her. And he immediately says, will you marry me? (laughs) Uh, And the fact that she didn't say yes right away. If she had said yes right away, I would have had a problem with it. But she's like, I might. She said, maybe. I might. Yeah. I might. She had to think about it. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to wrap up this episode with an email. Speaking of cougars, we have an email about Predator. Oh, God. (laughs) What a transition, Betsy. Segway. (laughs) This is from Andy in St. Paul. Hey, Andy. Hi, Betsy and Trent. I haven't written in for a while, but I've been listening to and loving the podcast just as much as always. Thank you. I just finished your Predator episode, and like you, I hadn't seen the whole movie until recently, although I'm pretty sure I had seen parts of it on TV or in passing. Yeah, Predator is one of those movies that is just shown on, like, TBS or TNT every so often. Two o'clock on a Thursday. There's there's only a few things that they really have to edit out, for, for cable anyway, and yeah, that's an easy one to just throw on. He continues, I 100% agree that the whole thing is pretty stupid and nonsensical, but it was still a fun watch. Yeah. The impetus for me to finally watch Predator was when Prey was released a few months ago. Yeah, we've been hearing a lot about that. I missed this one completely, to be honest. I didn't even know that was in any way related. I enjoyed it a lot, and being a bit of an amateur linguistics nerd, was super excited that it has the option of a full dub in the Comanche language. Okay. If you cover any of the other Predator movies, I would be most interested to hear your thoughts on this one, being the most recent and also a bit of departure from the style and setting of the other movies. Yeah, because Prey is a prequel, is it not? I have no idea. I think it is. As I said, I'm not at all familiar with this movie. Yeah, I think the rest of them are, like, they go forward in time, but I think Prey is a prequel. Also, the fact Which that they... Which makes sense because, you know, we have the the cultures in, in, the, in the, the woods here, and they have, like, these legends about these aliens. Oh, I suppose. Yeah, maybe that's something to do with yeah, it. Yeah, there was that character who mentioned that whole thing. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. And the fact that there's an entire Comanche dub is fascinating. Sure. Because I'd be willing to bet most people have never even heard Comanche. No. Let alone that there are many movies with a full dub. Right. I mean, you would definitely maybe see uh, subtitled movies that just get that track involved if this is going to be of interest to a particular group. But to actually have the language dub in there is something. Uh, He continues... Regarding your question at the end of the episode about movies we've purchased or have been given without having seen them, the one that first comes to mind for me is The Aviator. All right. 
It was gifted to me by a friend for a secret Santa gift exchange and the Scorsese slash DiCaprio slash Blanchett historical drama with Howard Shore music was right up my alley. It's still one of my favorites to this day. Well, that's a friend who knew what to get you. Definitely. If they if they said, well, here, you should just have this movie. I uh, uh, The Aviator is not one that I have seen. Uh, we will eventually watch it because we've got a plan to watch a bunch of Scorsese movies that we haven't seen. Uh, and that's definitely on the list. Uh, but the thing that I know about The Aviator is that Kate Blanchett plays Catherine Hepburn. And she does an uncanny performance in that movie with uh, basically not. I don't know if she's like trying to do an impression or it's that fine line of being an impersonation and yeah. embodying the actress herself. Right. But of course, being Kate Blanchett, she manages the latter. Yes. <laughs> uh, but wrapping up the email, he says, keep up the good work. I love having you guys to listen to while I'm in the office or taking the dog for a walk. All right. Cool. Thanks. Yes, thank you, Andy, for writing in. We like to hear from our listeners. Uh, you don't have to email us every week. We like hearing from people once in a while. I know Andy's yeah. emailed us before. Yeah, when the when the interest strikes you, if you got something to say, and I know there's going to be some people talking about this one because, number one, it's a long-ass podcast. I don't care. I kind of figured it might be, but, hey, when a movie really tickles us, especially me, I just want to keep on talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> and this is just such a classic. I'm sure that there yeah. are people, unlike Trent, who before this day had seen this movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, but if you would like to email us your thoughts about this or any of the other movies that we have covered recently, email us, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. Recent or not, go back and listen to episode uh, 27 and tell me your thoughts about that Whatever one. Whatever that one was. I don't know what that one was. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. That's Never Seen It Pod 1. We are at present still on Twitter. If that is still a thing, you can check us out there. Never Seen It underscore pod. You can also support the show by clicking the link in the podcast description on Anchor and throw us a buck. But that is going to be the end of yet another episode of Never Seen It. We are going to be entering very soon into the holiday season, so you can guess what kind of movies we will have coming up. We're still waiting on some Oscar movies to be released in the theaters, yep. so we'll see if we have uh, have the opportunity to see any of those in the near future. Suffice it to say, your Sundays will be very cheerful. Oh, I see what we're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, this has been another episode of Never Seen It. I am Betsy. And I am Trent. And we will catch you next time. Bye-bye.